Anyway, if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, and I'll read verses 1 to 9. Notice how I was practicing good practice there, coughing into my elbow. But understand this, Paul says, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. So is it going live? Is it working? We think it might. We're trying uh, Instagram Live right now, and so that's why I'm not moving around a whole lot, uh, because we've got just the phone camera. And we'll see if this works, you know. God only knows what's going on. Uh, And so you might wonder here a little bit of uh, why I'm continuing, or at least going to finish, the present sermon series that I've been doing about men and now about women Uh, in the midst of this crisis. I mean, right now, the the typical thing is for a lot of people, uh, a lot of leaders, to abandon what they were doing to try to do something else. And I've been doing some other teaching here. But the reason that I don't is this. Uh, I was convinced that God told me to preach this sermon series. Uh, This is about 10 10 weeks ago, mid-January. And, uh, and so much so that I feel like God gave me every single one of these messages uh, that I'm preaching now on the same day. It was quite amazing. Now, God knew what was going to happen with regard to COVID-19 in January. You understand that? When he gave me the sermon series. God knew. Actually, God knew what was going to happen a year ago, along before he gave me the sermon series. Uh, And so that's why I tend to keep preaching uh, in certain ways, even when the world is going through a a massive crisis, because frankly, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and we need to keep doing what God's told us to do. Always do in the storm what God has told you to do in the calm. Always do in the dark what God has commanded you to do in the light. Don't stop Because what the enemy always wants to do, he wants to distract us and cause us to have a different focus. So even though uh, we don't have many people in today, that's okay. 
others will hear this, and, and God only knows who is supposed to hear these sermons, and hopefully people will listen to them uh, as they're locked in at home, twiddling their thumbs, wondering what to do. And I'll say, okay, well, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll go and I'll, at least I'll listen to this sermon, uh, and maybe it'll bless somebody. So that's why we persevere in these times. Uh, I trust the sovereignty of God. I love what uh, Scottish preacher Samuel Rutherford said. He said, my faith rests on the bed of God's sovereignty. And that's true for me. My faith rests in the bed of God's sovereignty. I know in God's sovereignty that he has sent me in his will not to fail but to succeed. Now, my definition of success might be different than his. His might be different than mine. But I am confident in the sovereignty of God over my life, over our world, and over your life. And that's one of the greatest things about our faith is that we begin with God, not with people. We always begin with God and who God is and the great love that's been manifested through God in Jesus Christ. So, now, let's jump, jump into where, where we're going. Uh, you might be familiar with a novel called Little Women. Uh, if you went to the cinema before they were all shut, uh, it was a film, a, a recent adaptation. It's been adapted many times into film, uh, and there was a recent adaptation that was very, very popular. Many people thought it should win uh, Oscars, but it didn't. But it's been, uh, apparently, by all counts, it was a great film. But it's based on a novel by Louisa May Alcott uh, that is set in the United States. So it's one of these American novels. Uh, and uh, the story is about a household of girls living alone with their mother uh, because their father is away during the Civil War in the 1860s in the United States. Uh, And the story follows the four sisters, Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy, and details their passage from childhood into womanhood. Uh, And the title, Little Women, apparently represented the period in a young woman's life where Uh, She goes uh, from childhood, the the childhood and going into young adulthood were kind of overlapping. And that's why it's named Little Women. It's not intended to be a derogatory uh, phrase, but a complimentary phrase describing a journey in a young woman's life. But Paul, in the passage we read today, actually also uses the phrase Little Women although it's not often translated that way. But when Paul is writing here about little women, Paul means something completely different. We need to understand Paul's desire for women, and this is true, Paul's desire for all Christian women is that they would take their place alongside Christian men as sons of God In Jesus Christ. Men and women are both sons of God in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 26. He says, For in Christ Jesus, 
you are all sons of God. And by all, that's a very complicated Greek word, means all. I don't often pull out the Greek for you, but in this case, I think it's very important. It means all. We are all sons of God through faith, men and women. And if we are Christ's, if we belong to Christ, if we've been redeemed by Christ, then we are also Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. In other words, women and men together inherit the promises of God. Women and men together are called to serve God. They're called to ministry. They're called to thrive in their identity as sons of God in Jesus Christ. And this is force of what Paul is saying there in Galatians, and it's consistent with everything that Paul says in all of his writings. But also, Paul unfortunately saw how many times women deflected themselves from God's purposes in their lives because of their behavior. I think Paul saw it time after time after time, just as I, as I mentioned, in the more than 30 years of serving churches now uh, full time, I have seen time after time after time after time where a woman deflects herself from the fulfillment of God's purposes and plans in her lives, in, in, in her life. And she does that by some very predictable, very common, very usual behaviors. And that's what this whole sermon series really has been about, uh, is identifying some of these very common behaviors that women tend to engage in that deflect them from God's plans and purposes in their lives. Now men do this too. I'm not picking on women over men. And if you're concerned about that, I would just make this note, uh, especially for us guys. Paul never identifies, to to my knowledge, now you can look this up, maybe you can challenge me. Read throughout the the book of Acts. Uh, Paul never identifies a woman who is a false teacher, false preacher, like a Janice and Jambres, like in this passage here. So those tend to be men. So, you know, so men don't feel superior here. Uh, But it is absolutely true that Paul has seen this time after time after time. And in his writings, in these passages we've been looking at, Paul often identifies some of these behaviors in various ways. Uh, And certainly he does that in this passage that we read today. We have to understand that Paul's desire is for all Christian women to become mighty women of God, to fulfill everything that God has for them in Jesus Christ. That's that's Paul's desire here. That's God's desire here. That's why he inspires Paul. So let's look at this passage today. And at first, we're going to do a bit of the background of the passage because the passage describes the times we're living in. Actually, the passage describes the times we're living in right now. So we can see what Paul is saying here. 
The context of this passage is that Paul is talking to Timothy about Christians, both men and women, who get snared by the devil. You can see that in chapter 2, if you read through chapter 2. He's talking about Christians, men and women, who get snared by the devil. And he starts by identifying in this passage the times we're living in. But understand this, he says, verse 1, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like we're in times of difficulty right now. I mean, maybe you disagree. Maybe you think, well, it's, it's like an extended holiday uh, or, or uh, uh, vacation. Uh, I'm stunned by the number of people who go to the seaside uh, or who are retreating up to Scotland. Uh, and I'm stunned by that because actually I thought about doing that myself. Uh, but, uh, but I thought, no, there's no way. I've got to stay in London. Uh, what would it look like for me to go to Scotland and leave all of you here to the... The, to the whims of the coronavirus crisis. Oh, that would be terrible, right? So I'm here with you. I'm here in solidarity. And if anybody's listening from the highlands who should not be there, come home, you know. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but this is times of difficult. It's crazy. Panic buying? Hoarding? I mean, what in the world are people doing? Certainly, this is times of difficulty. Paul says in the end times it's going to happen. By the way, this is one of the things that consistently reinforces the truth of the scripture for me. The Bible predicted the times that we're living in. Most other religions either foresee us just getting better and better and better, uh, or they foresee something completely different than the troubles that we go through. And the Bible tells us, hey, you're going to have trouble, and it's going to get even worse as you get toward the end times. Now, we're not in the end times, but we are getting close, and this is almost like a dress rehearsal for some of the things that we read in the book of Revelation. But we're not in the book of Revelation with this, so please understand that. Then Paul goes on to describe people, how they're going to behave and we need to understand the people Paul is talking about here are not the people in the world. He's talking about Christians. Remember the whole context here is Christians, men and women, who get snared by the devil. So that's, he's talking about Christians. The people in the world are going to be even worse. And so what are the behaviors he, here? He says some people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, like they should be. Now, we see this all the time. But I'm not going to go into all of those. Uh, You can do a study on those because it will deflect us from getting to the meat of where we're going. So after he does this, that's verses 2 to 5, then Paul alerts us to the possibility that we can be deceived by these people behaving this way. He does it by saying they will have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Avoid such people. He's saying, if you see Christians behaving in this way, 
you should avoid them. Because what they're doing, they might seem good on the outside, they might seem like good little Christian boys and girls, but they're not. They just have an appearance of godliness, but they are denying the power of the Holy Spirit to change them and transform them into the image of God. So watch out for those people. And then Paul goes on to warn Christians about another group of people who appear to be Christians, who actually even appear to be Christian leaders, but who are not Christians and are destructively deceptive. The first group of people are deceptive, and they can mess with our heads a bit, but the second group are destructively deceptive. He says, for among them, and they come out of this first group, for among them are those who creep into households. The word creep here is is a bit like uh, somebody, a, a soldier coming in stealthily. You know, so if you imagine, you know, a soldier, uh, one of those special ops trained people kind of going under the cloud of darkness. Uh, they have their, their camouflage on and they're creeping into households. The word household is not just talking about homes. Households is also a common phrase used for the church, for local church gatherings. So these false leaders are stealthily creeping into local church gatherings. But, he goes on, we're going to skip a couple of verses because we'll come back to that. But, just as Janus and Jambres, now these guys were the magicians uh, under Pharaoh who were opposed to Moses. So they could do most of the miracles that Moses did. That's the point. They could do a lot of miracles. They could do they, a lot of things that they said sounded good, but they themselves were false. And Paul is telling us now to beware that some of the people that are not really Christians, that definitely aren't Christian leaders, that are going to sneak into uh, churches and homes are going to be able to do miracles They're going to seem like they have a lot of power. They're going to seem like they have a lot of influence, but they are not. They are actually in opposition to God, not working with God. And so just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. That means they're not Christians. They're not Christians. They'll look like it, but they're not. But they will not get very far, hallelujah, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So what Paul is saying here is you're going to have all these people who, who have a form of godliness but deny its power. And you're going to have false leaders that try to worm their way into churches and households. But don't worry, if you're looking, if you're paying attention, you will see it. You will see their foolishness. You will see their folly. It will become evident and you can avoid them. So it is not inevitable that we are going to fall victim or prey to these false leaders. So this is the background of what Paul is saying here. And then Paul inserts a couple of verses here that really seem quite insulting to women. 
Uh, he, 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 uh, you know, he says here, they capture, these guys capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Uh, but Paul is not being derogatory toward women here. What Paul is doing, he's describing women who are in spiritual captivity. And I have seen this over more than three decades of ministry that there are women in the body of Christ who are in spiritual captivity. Spiritual captivity. And unnecessarily so. No Christian, male or female, needs to be in spiritual captivity. No one. We all have the authority in Jesus Christ not to be there. But Paul here, in these uh, two verses, are describing women in spiritual captivity. So let's take a closer look, because in doing so, he is flagging up some indicators of women who are being deflected from their destiny in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I give this, as with all these sermons, it's not for us to go about judging other women, whether you're male or female. Uh, But these are very good indicators for any woman who is paying attention and looking at her own life to say, God, am I here? Am I in this? So what's Paul talking about here? Well, he says, first of all, that these guys come in and they capture. This word capture literally means to take somebody as a prisoner of war. To take somebody as a prisoner of war. Taking somebody into captivity as a prisoner of war. It describes somebody who is supposed to be on the battlefield, but gets captured on the battlefield, and then they're taken off the battlefield so that they can no longer contribute to the war effort. You see what Paul's saying here? He's saying that women, along with men, are to be engaged in the spiritual warfare of our day. But if you get captured, if you get captured by these wrong behaviors, if you get captured by these false teachers, you will be taken off the battlefield and you will be rendered ineffective for God's campaign to advance His loving rulership into the world. Does that make sense? Really important to understand that word. So who gets captured? Who gets captured? Is it every woman that gets captured? No, not at all. He says the ones who get captured are what he describes as weak women. Literally, this word means little women. Literally, it means little women. So in Paul's case, not in the case of Louisa May Alcott's novel, but in Paul's case, little women, little women get captured. So what does it mean to be a little woman? Uh, little women uh, are, you might say, silly women. They are women who lack spiritual maturity. They are contrasted with the mighty women of God. It's women who have not developed in their faith. 
Women who have not taken responsibility for themselves. Women who have not grown up in Jesus as they should. This is what Paul means by little women. This is not a slight against women generally, but he's saying that some women are by their own choices and behaviors little women. God doesn't make them little women. The devil doesn't make them little women. Uh, Men don't make them little women. Society doesn't make them little women. The women make themselves little women by their behaviors. And Paul here lists basically three behaviors in this context. We talked about some others last week. But there are three behaviors in this context that will render a woman a little woman. So what are those? First of all, little women are those who are burdened with sins. Burdened with sins. The force of this phrase indicates somebody who is allowing sin to accumulate in her life. And you allow sin to accumulate in your life because you don't take responsibility for your sin... You don't take responsibility for your behavior. You don't repent and turn away from the sin and change your behavior. You don't resolve your sins of the past. And because of that, your sins can pile up and it can become a burden for you. I've known women who have carried sins for decades that they've committed, bitter attitudes in their heart harsh things that they've said, harsh ways that they've behaved toward other people, and they've never resolved these sins. And unresolved sin, whether you're a man or a woman, becomes a burden in your life. But thanks be to God, God has given us the tool to resolve every single sin that we commit. And that tool is repentance. That tool is repentance where we recognize that the sin, we confess that we've done it, and then we turn away from it and replace it with something righteous. So the first sign of a little woman is someone who's burdened with sins. A second sign of a little woman is somebody who's being led astray by various passions. And the force of this word is a word that is currently going on. It means something that's currently happening in her life. So if you are following your sinful desires, if you're following those, those passions that you have, the, those longings, and with Paul, when he uses that word, it always indicates going after something that's sinful. I, I often describe it as kind of the too much syndrome. Now, most everything is good, but we can have too much of almost anything. You know? So we can be going after too much food or too much money or too many possessions or or too many uh, clothes or too many shoes or uh, uh, too much uh, friends, uh, too much eating out, too much, and so on and so on. How do you know if you're in too much? Is if you're just compelled to do it and you keep on doing it and you don't resist it. It's usually indicated by the attitude like this, oh, you know, I know I shouldn't do this, but, you know, I'm worth it. I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, And whenever we do something that we know we shouldn't be doing, that's sin. That's wrong. And so we need to be aware of the syndrome. Again, men can do this too. But Paul is identifying this trait 
in Little Women, uh, these are people who do not exercise self-control. Now remember, we as Christians, you as women in Christ, are filled with the same Holy Spirit that I as a man in Christ am filled with. And that Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit in both of us, brings about the fruit of the Spirit. And self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Self-discipline comes into that fruit of the Spirit. But then there's a third one, and the third one is something that we really need to pay attention to because I've seen it so often. Paul says this, they're always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Always learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Uh, there is nothing wrong with learning. Obviously, we want to be a learning church. We want to be a church that encourage, encourages people to study the Bible. But you know something? Bible study and learning are good, but they are not ends in themselves. When you stand before the Lord, you are not going to be judged by how much Bible knowledge you have. You won't be declared righteous because you memorized the Gospel of Luke. You won't be acceptable to God because you have four or five PhDs in New Testament, Old Testament, Aramaic, and whatever other language you want to come up with. Learning is good, but in a sense, it is a means to an end, not an end in itself. If we study the Bible, but Bible study does not result in a changed life and more fruitful service to others, then your Bible study is worthless and it's actually deceptive because you can deceive yourself into thinking I'm studying the Bible, therefore I'm doing what God wants me to do. God certainly wants us to study the Bible but our life in Christ is not judged by our learning experiences. It's judged by how we serve one another, how we follow Jesus, how we live our lives. And the problem here is the women were always learning. They were always studying. They were always popping off to one another's houses for the latest Bible study. Uh, or maybe, you know, to, to go on. Of course, they didn't have TVs back then, so they'll pick up the, the letter, you know. It's kind of like the, the entertainment of the day. The, the letter from the, the latest, greatest biblical teacher. And they, they might circulate that and study that and, and debate and, and all this other stuff. But their lives weren't changed. And the fact that the women were burdened with sins and being led astray by various passions was a clear demonstration that their learning was not resulting in righteous behavior. And that was the problem. They seemed to have a desire to learn. They engage in those learning activities religiously. And even today that might include things like Bible study, uh, reading, uh, going online to check out uh, what's happening online, uh, turning into God TV or, or TBN, you know, all those kinds of things, but they never arrive at the truth. They never are putting that learning into regular practice as demonstrated by serving others 
and showing good works. And Paul says, you can be learning all you want, but if you're not living, if you're learning and not living, you're a little woman. And I've seen this so often. Women, you're called to serve the Lord. And all the learning you do, just like men, all the learning we do, we need to put it into play. If we don't do it, you haven't learned it. No matter how much knowledge you have. So instead of women in captivity, we need women in spiritual freedom. Instead of women in spiritual captivity, we want women in spiritual freedom. So what does it mean to be a woman in spiritual freedom? Women who are in spiritual freedom remember that they are in a spiritual battle so they remain alert to the enemy. Christian women are on the battlefield alongside Christian men and the battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we need women on the ground as we need men on the ground doing warfare against the enemy for the souls of humanity. So women, remember, if you're in spiritual freedom, you'll understand you're in spiritual warfare. You're in warfare on behalf of your kids. You're in warfare on behalf of their schools. You're in warfare on behalf of your jobs. Women in spiritual freedom also pursue emotional, relational, and spiritual maturity, which is shown in their lives by the fruit of the Spirit. Just like it is in men, by the way. Women in spiritual freedom will take responsibility for their lives and repent of their sins. There's so much that's happening in our world today where many women in the world today are blaming someone else for their situation. And true. I mean, there has been a lot of oppression and mistreatment in our societies. I'm not arguing against that. But frankly... Women, do not blame men for your situation. Do not blame society for your situation. Do not blame anyone else for your situation. Take responsibility for your life because the women who are overcoming today in every area of the world, especially the Christian women who are overcoming today, are those who take responsibility for lives, for their lives, repent of their sins quickly, and move forward in faith. Women in spiritual freedom exercise self-discipline and self-control in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not a legalism. We're not talking about being legalistic. We're talking about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And finally, women in spiritual freedom apply their learning to their ministry, serving others faithfully in the power of, your, of the Holy Spirit. Women, you are called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, right alongside men. And don't allow anybody to tell you otherwise. But you've got to use what you learn. It's true for all of us. You use it or you lose it. And it's time for us all, men and women, to rise up and apply what we learn from God in serving others faithfully. Frankly, the devil has taken many Christian women as prisoners of war. And most of them don't even realize it. But it really is time 
for women to rise up in the freedom of the power of the Holy Spirit. And women, you can do this. You don't need a man. Well, actually you do. Sorry. Women, I hate to tell you, you need a man. Uh, I know that just shattered your reality there. But you need Jesus. The man of God. And men, we need a man as well. We need Jesus. But if you have Jesus, women, men, you have everything you need to walk in freedom. You have everything you need to step forward in faith. Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. He's made us sons of the Father, men and women. You have what you need to serve him. And right now, as you can see all around us, our world is at war. The problem is, the world thinks it's battling against a virus. That's not our warfare. We're battling against spiritual forces of evil who desire to take all of humanity captive. And it's time for us, men and women, to rise up in freedom and move forward in faith to see the captive set free, to see the sick healed, the dead raised, and Jesus glorified. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you that you call men and women together in the power of your Holy Spirit to serve you. I pray, Father God, that every woman who hears this message, whether today or in the future, that you would show them, Lord, if they have those three characteristics, burdened by sins, astray by desire, desires, always learning but never actually doing. Uh, and if they recognize that in themselves, Father, I pray that you just lead them in repentance. Set them free through the cross of Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit that they might step forward in faith and that in the body of Christ around the world we would see no more little women. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.